a friend of ours who, uh, who I think had an interesting journey to this part of the country. He, uh, you know, he was on the police force in Fort Collins, and I don't know, I mean, he's been all over, I think, but he ended up at Guernsey uh, at, the, um, at the base there. And uh, he and Linda, uh, where is Linda? I'd like to, uh, Linda is right over here, got the dark blue shirt on and the heart rescue patch. Um, I don't know if it was because Hartville spelled sort of the same as their last name or what, but they were sort of drawn to call Hartville home. And uh, North Hills is their home church, and uh, just really appreciate them. They, they travel around the country in a motorhome about, I don't know, 10, 11 months of, out of the year, and, and they're only here part of the time, and we're hoping maybe a little longer next year, next summer. But, uh, you know, I've heard Mike's story before, but most of you haven't, and uh, I thought it would be a really great thing for us to hear it today. And uh, so... So, um, Roy's going to get a nice tan sitting up here running the sound today. I need one. Sorry, I apologize for that. Mike fortunately has pants on. So, let's, how's your mic, Mike? Uh, test. I don't know. Is, can you, y'all hear me out there? How right. about the people in the back? I always wanted to talk to fringe people, but this is... <laughs> it is. It's, and, yeah, and there'll be the, the occasional pause when the, when the, the <clears throat> train comes through, too. But let me... Let me, uh, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for Mike and his story and your uh, miraculous saving grace. Um, not, just, not just physically, but spiritually as well. And Lord, uh, thank you for what he's going to speak to us today. Pray that you just prepare our hearts, uh, move in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Well, we'll get the train out of the way early. How's that? I'm going to move one of these up here. I don't, uh, I'm not a teleprompter guy, just so you don't worry. Uh, don't use those. Never have. I don't like written speeches, but uh, because we have a time frame that you want to get out of here on, uh, I have to have some notes to make sure I don't go too far off track. First thing I'll do is welcome all the folks from North Hills. Uh, those of you that haven't met me before, we, like the pastor said, we only get here a couple months out of the year, and uh, Sunday mornings, a lot of folks are running off to lunch and that kind of stuff, so we don't get to meet a lot of folks, but welcome. Also, any of your emergency responders, police officers, firefighters, medics, I met some of you this week as I traveled between Wheatland and the state line, trying to touch base with all the fire departments, police departments, the sheriff's office, and uh, the medical folks. Welcome here. And if you're a military veteran or you're currently serving over at Camp Guernsey in the National Guard, welcome, especially if uh, you're not part of our normal service here. We do have a sign-in sheet over here, and there's all I ask on there, if you're a, uh, one of these in these groups, uh, military, police, fire, EMS, or uh, a family member thereof, feel free to sign that. There's nothing that asks for your phone number. We don't ask for your, uh, we're not asking for your email address or money or anything like that, so don't be afraid to come over. We just wanted to recognize that you were here and where you're from. Yeah, there are some cards over there so that after we're done, if you do decide you need to talk to me or Linda later on with some struggles you're having, or if you just want to talk to us and say, hey, I want to pray for you guys, uh, we've got cards over there. You, there are contact cards. You can fill those out. I'm going to start off by, uh, well, most of you know I'm not the pastor, so if this is your first time in North Hills and you don't like what you hear today, please come back some other time. Don't stay away because of me, all right? <laughs> um, 
my introduction, I have to start with a disclaimer because uh, a lot of folks have been bugging me to write a book for a long time, and I keep telling people that if I wrote it, it'd have to go in the fiction section because nobody would believe it. Uh, my, my story is pretty much unbelievable. A lot of folks in the military or in law enforcement or fire EMS have had some of the experiences that I have had, but to have one person that's had all of these and worked in all of those venues, uh, there aren't very many of us. Most cops don't like going into burning buildings, okay? That's for starters. And most uh, firemen don't like getting shot at. So that's usually the, the line of separation between the two of us. A few things I might say might be like military copies, fireies. If you don't understand something I said, uh, please feel free to stop by later on. I sometimes tend to speak in uh, uh, cop jargon because that's normally the crowd that I'm speaking to. Um, I do have to adjust m what my story a little bit for, um, for groups where it's mixed folks, uh, even with firefighters and, and soldiers and that kind of stuff. Some of the things that I say invoke some emotions. Uh, We've had to deal with people after our services before because some of the things that I talk about, uh, another person's had that same experience and it brings back some bad memories. And we're, that's what we're here for. We'll help you with that if that happens today. But um, before I lose you here, how many of you like to, to watch uh, ad adventure movies? Anybody? Got a few? All right. The Baptist, Baptists are allowed to go to movies, right? Is that a problem? I, did I ask a question I wasn't supposed to ask? All right. So everybody pretty much likes adventure movies. Um, what's what's the, the four things that it takes to make a good movie? Okay, well, we'll start off. First thing, it has to have some excitement. You don't want to go to sleep. All right, so if you're starting to snore a little bit, this, this gets a little better in a few minutes, all right? So it has to have excitement. Usually that excitement includes danger, okay? Uh, Indiana Jones uh, it was a real popular movie a while back. As a matter of fact, they made a few sequels of it, I hear. I am not Indiana Jones and don't claim to be, but I have been in some dangerous situations. The difference between me and Indiana Jones is he had stuntmen doing his stuff, and the stuff I did was for real. A tragedy. A lot of movies will have some kind of tragic event in it, and that's something that, you know, emotions, that's what they're looking for. All right, ladies, what's the one thing I've left out that's important in the movie? Romance, okay, so I'll try to throw a little bit of that in, but I can't do too much of that or my wife will be up here and stopping the sermon. So, uh, Anyway, Jeremiah 29.11 says, this is the Lord talking to Jeremiah. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Each one of you sitting out there, God has a plan for your life. You're going to hear a little bit about mine, and just because yours doesn't match up with mine, that's... That, we don't want to start comparing notes. And what I like to tell people when I start off is this message is not about Mike Swihart. It's about the Lord. It's about God and Jesus and his sovereignty and his power and his wisdom and strength. He just used me as a tool and has put me on a path that's allowed me to help people out uh, sometimes at a little bit of peril. Uh, just to get, you, to get to know me just a little bit, I've served on three police departments, two in Ohio uh, and one in Colorado. I started my police career when I was 18 years old as a police cadet. I dispatched, if there's any dispatchers out there, respect what you guys do. And uh, our ministry is also for the support people. Just if you're a law enforcement or fire dispatcher, you're included under our ministry. Um, I worked for three fire departments. I was on two fire departments back in Ohio, uh, a volunteer department of a town about the size of Lingle, and another city department where I was paid per run, 
And we did EMS in both of those. Uh, so I was an EMT at that time. And then I actually can claim to be uh, with Hartville Fire Department the short time that I worked up here at Guernsey. I uh, was up there for about a year and uh, didn't get to do a whole lot because there's not a whole lot of stuff going on in Hartville, as most of you know. But uh, I'll claim it anyway. How's that? My military experience, I was joined the, the Colorado Army National Guard, and it only took me about a year to figure out I needed to go somewhere else, and I found out that there was greener grass on the other side of the state line. <laughs> and I moved to, moved to the Wyoming Army National Guard. Did, did a lot of stuff in there, served as an enlisted uh, person and an officer. Uh, it's a very complicated story. Uh, after I got injured on my police job, I went back to the enlisted side and eventually got to retire as an officer. Uh, that's a diff- different story for those of you that are military that want to f- find out about that. You can check out the website. There's a little bit about that on there. Um, I, I looked at my uh, resume. I have a list of all the things that I've done as far as the, the places I've worked, the duty positions I had, and the training that I've had. And I haven't added my last five years in the military, which was I was on active duty at Colorado Springs at Peterson Air Force Base, but it's eight pages long. So uh, I, I have to get a two-hour movie into a 40-minute time period, which is what Pastor David. And the problem I'm going to have is my, my, time, my cutoff time was be when my wife started, the shade moved, my, and it's already doing it. I can already see she's, the sun's starting to hit her, so uh, I don't want her to fry over there. All right. We've been married 41 years, Linda and I. Uh, she's my number one wife, my favorite of all the ones that I've had. Uh, uh, we've had two daughters. Uh, they're uh, 40. They'll be 40 and 37 in another few weeks. Linda and I will be married 41 years next week. So do the math on that. We've, we had babies right away. I've, I, as, a, as a police officer, firefighter, uh, medic, I've been, to, I've been in bar fights, family fights. Uh, I've fought fires, structure fires as a firefighter. Um, extrication accidents, a lot of fatalities. Uh, one of my, the worst call I ever had was rolling in as a firefighter medic on a fatality involving one of my p- police officers on my police department I work for. Uh, I've had a few homicides I've worked on, been involved in a couple of shootings. Um, if that wasn't enough excitement, when I was in the National Guard, Wyoming Guard, I was out at Mount St. Helens when it blew up in 1980, got to fly rescue missions out there. Um, I've... Uh, we had a big flood in Fort Collins while I was there, and I was back in Ohio and got to work the tornadoes after the super outbreak in 1974, for those of you that are old enough to remember, remember that day. We've been active in our church, our local churches, wherever we've been. Uh, we've uh, been involved in Bible studies, worship team, uh, teaching Sunday school, done stuff with the youth groups, all that stuff. All these things that I've done, the most important job I ever had that God gave me was to be the husband of Linda Swihart. So if you're sitting here comparing notes when we get done with this and say, gee, I haven't done all those things. If you're a husband or you're a wife, that's the most important function that God has given you. Because when you two came together, God put you together to support each other and help each other get to heaven. And then if you had babies after that, the second most important job I had was being a dad. Not being a police officer, not being a firefighter, not being a soldier but being a dad. That was my second most important job. And I can't say that I was perfect at either one of them, so I'm not going to stand here and and try to convince you that I was. 
I'll tell you a little bit about our ministry. We retired, uh, I'd retired from my police job in 2002 from Fort Collins, Colorado. I'd been on active duty in Cheyenne for about a year with uh, force protection after 9-11, and my bosses at Fort Collins didn't like me being in the National Guard, so I told them I've had enough fun being a policeman, and I uh, decided to do some stuff with the military. I came up here and worked at Guernsey for about a year and a half as an air traffic controller and got hired at another air traffic control job down in, at Fort Carson, Colorado. While I was there, uh, the uh, Army said they would put me on active duty, and I served my last five years, most of it, on active duty as a space operations officer and a ballistic missile defense operations officer. I got deployed twice to the Gulf, once uh, during Desert Storm and once uh, in support of uh, enduring freedom. As a, I did counter-IED missions with space assets. So it's uh, a lot of stuff. We retired from that in 2013. And in 2013, I was about to become a homeless veteran. We, uh, we, we lived on base, Peterson Air Force Base, and when my retirement was coming up, I came off active duty, and they go, it's, Major, it's time for you to move somewhere else. So we sold our house in Loveland, Colorado. I uh, didn't have a job. Sequestration just kicked in, and I didn't have a place to go. So here we go, uh, moving into the motorhome. So here we are, Heart Rescue. Uh, we serve military police, fire EMS, and their families and all the uh, folks involved with that. There's uh, one of the reasons we do what we do. Uh, we, we specialize on critical incidents. You're going to hear why that is in a few minutes. But um, the reason we do that is right now, you know, you're, most of you that watch the news are aware, police are going through kind of a tough time. There's a lot of cops and a lot of cop families that are really struggling right now with whether or not they should be doing what they're doing. There's a, a police suicide. More, there's at least one a day. The average is, right now, I think it's around 17 hours. Every 17 hours, a police officer kills themselves. Military members, our, our suicide rate's down from last year. This year, only 20 veterans and service members are killing themselves a day. 20 a day. So Linda and I are, are at the other end of the phone. When we meet people that are going through struggles, we try to talk to them and uh, try to help them through this difficult time. Our main focus of our ministry, Heart Rescue, is evangelism. Our first sermon that we heard after we retired from the military came to North Hills, and Pastor David preached a sermon on evangelism. He talked about the fact that we're all evangelists, even if we don't have the gift of evangelism, and that we're agents of the gospel. Hence, that's why we say we're heart rescue agents. That's where, so heart, the, the church here, North Hills, has had a part in what we do in our ministry. Uh, most officers never involved in shooting in their whole career, uh, and if they are involved in one, you know, there's all different outcomes in that. Uh, I was actually involved in two. Uh, those incidents, most police shootings only last just a few seconds. Uh, the uh, stuff that you see on TV is not realistic at all. Uh, the uh, handguns don't work like they do on television. Uh, when when you see what's going on today, when a police officer shoots somebody, it's very fast. He doesn't have a lot of time to think about it. And when you shoot somebody with a handgun, they don't usually fall over right away. So that's why these things uh, come out the way they do. People misinterpret what you do. They, uh, they just don't understand, and, and I'm here to try to help you understand a little bit how that goes. My first shooting occurred in 1988. I was on a, a, sent to a traffic accident at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a very, in a very nice neighborhood. I walked up to the car, and I asked the gentleman uh, sitting behind the wheel who had just bumped into the back of this car, I said, sir, I need to see your driver's license and registration. 
and he stared at me, and I looked down at him, and he reached back like he was going to get his wallet, and I looked in the back seat, and as I did that, he swung up with a revolver and fired a shot at me. And the, when I looked down, I heard the gun go off. The, the barrel was this far away from my stomach, and he missed me. The, um, my reaction, I was, a, I was a firearms instructor, so I had trained people on what to do in those circumstances. When somebody pulls a gun on a police officer and points it at him, and especially if they shoot it, that person needs to get shot. I'm not going to be politically correct about that. I don't care what their background is. I don't care who their family is and what, what kind of childhood they had. The person needs to get shot. And Romans 13 gives me the authority to do that. If, you don't, if you've never read Romans 13, read Romans 13, 1 through, I think it's verse 5, where it says that the, the government official doesn't bear the sword in vain. So that, that incident lasted about five seconds, less than five seconds, and it was all over with. Um, little did I know that that event was going to prepare me for another incident that occurred in 1992 in my church parking lot. In between that event, I got deployed to the Gulf uh, in uh, 1990 and uh, came back from, from Desert Storm a wounded soldier. Not physically wounded, but emotionally and spiritually wounded. And to this day, my military experience... Um, overshadows anything else that ever happened to me in my life. I've seen, I've watched people get shot. I've shot people. I've um, had to tell loved ones that their, their spouse or their child was dead. But nothing affected me as long as my war experience. And I didn't shoot anybody in the war. But I had some of my own soldiers, I was a company commander, and some of my own soldiers one night tried to murder me. And I really had a hard time processing that for a long time. I expected as a cop for uh, the bad guys to shoot at me on the street. But I didn't expect some of my own soldiers to get drunk and show up at my tent one night with their M16s to kill me. So I'll, I'll leave that story lay because I don't like to, re- to relive that one. I don't really like to relive the next one either, but I'd gotten back from uh, Desert Storm in 1991 and I got off active duty in July and in August of 1992, matter of fact, the, uh, the anniversary date, Jan- it was August 23rd, which was this past, was that Monday? Tuesday. I don't remember. It was this week, the 24th anniversary, 24 years ago, I got shot in my church parking lot on a Sunday morning uh, in the middle of a domestic disturbance. Um, 24 years ago today, I had an internal bleed in my, in my chest cavity that the doctors weren't aware of, and I almost died in the afternoon 24 years ago today. So the day I showed up in the hospital, the 23rd, the doctor said I shouldn't survive that incident, and then five days later I almost died again in the hospital. The uh, service started up like most normal services, except the fact that uh, I, wasn't, I was in a service that I wasn't normally in, and uh, I ended up... Um, getting to sit with my wife for change. She taught Sunday school, and I went to Sunday school class, different service. So I thought, well, I get to sit in service with my wife for a change. So we were in the service, sitting close to the center row. Our church was set up kind of like yours was before the pastor made it to semicircle there. We were sitting toward the center row, and a guy walked down the right-hand side. Uh, I knew the guy. I'd known him for many years. He and his wife had just gone through a pretty nasty divorce. Uh, His wife was friends of my wife. She was she stood next to Linda in the choir, 
And they had two daughters, both of which were about the same age as our daughters. Matter of fact, one of our daughters was at their house the weekend before that. The guy walked down the front aisle, or the, the side aisle, on the right side, and he walked down to, to the, his ex-wife, and he elbowed her, took his elbow, and he hit her like that. And she scooted over, and he scooted in. A uh, pastor saw that and knew that things probably weren't going to go very well, so he walked off the platform. We're singing the first song, standing up singing. And he walked down, he shook his hand, and asked the couple to, to come with him. So they, all three of them went outside, went down the aisle, out the back door. He came back in just for a few seconds and went right back out. Uh, at this time, I was on light duty. Uh, I was, uh, had been back, uh, been on light duty for about six months with a back injury, so I wasn't supposed to be doing any cop work. Uh, but I leaned over to Linda and I said, I'm going to go check and see what's going on outside. I think there might be a problem. So I went out the back door. As I got out the back door, uh, several pe- men were uh, talking to the guy, and, uh, and the wife, and the wife started to walk away, and he, the ex-wife started to walk away, and he grabbed her by the elbow. And she said, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to call the cops. Well, she said, cops, so, and I was a cop, so I thought, well, maybe I need to do something here. So I started walking toward him, and they started walking kind of around and back towards the building. And the, these other guys were walking, and I was kind of following. I hadn't gotten involved in this yet. And uh, they got pretty close to the building, and she stopped and called him by name and said, I just want you to leave me alone. And he said, okay, I will. He pulled out a 9 millimeter and shot her in the heart twice. I was about 10 or 15 feet off to his left side. I didn't see the gun until it got right here. Well, at that point, uh, as I saw his gun coming up, I was going for mine. And uh, had a, there was a guy in front of me, actually. I had to actually push a man out of the way to get a shot at him. And as I came up and I shot at him, he shot at me, and his first round came right across my thumb here and hit me in the chest right here and, and popped my lung. Um, I looked down. My hand really hurt. If you all ever had your hand slammed in a car door, that's, it hurts. I was looking down at that, saw this hand wasn't any good anymore. So I came back up, and I shot him two more times. Uh, he came back up with his 9mm and shot me again. That bullet hit me right here, and it went through uh, my stomach, spleen, pancreas, and kidney. Now, if I have any medics or nurses or doctors in the, in the uh, audience here, most of you know that those structures aren't too good to get shot. If, if you survive the incident, it's going to be a long recovery. But when you lose your spleen, if a spleen gets popped, that's a pretty bad bleeder as far as an organ goes. And uh, most people that pop their spleen, get the spleen ruptured, die pretty quickly from blood loss. Um, I shot him two more times, and he finally fell down. It hit him five times, and four of those shots were with one hand. I had just been to a firearms instructor course, a master instructor's course, a few weeks before that. I hadn't shot in one-handed in forever. And in that course, we actually shot both hands. I got to shoot weak-handed in that one. Anyway, to make uh, this story a little bit shorter, the, uh, I took charge of the scene. I told some folks to go call 911 and tell them that Three people had been shot, and then one was a police officer. Guy went in and did that. I uh, remember. I remember uh, after the suspect fell down, I dropped my gun right where I was. I stuck. I knew I had a sucking chest wound, so I started to cover up my wounds to do self-aid. I remember looking up in the sky, and I talked to God real quickly. You know, when you get real hurt real seriously, it's amazing how. 
a lot of other stuff kind of, you're not thinking about other stuff anymore. But the conversation I had was, Lord, I don't think there's anything between us. I don't think that we're having any problem, but just in case there is, (laughs) I want to make sure. So nothing came to mind, no big sin popped up and said, you know, you need to square this away, you know, um, hopefully I was caught up on my on my ties. But anyway, I went about my business. Somebody went in inside, got uh, Linda. She came outside, and when uh, she came out, there was a nurse doing CPR on the lady on the ground. The other guy was laying on the ground. People were tending to him. She didn't even see me. Somebody went in and said, Linda, you need to come out in the parking lot. We need you outside right away. And there were a couple other nurses in our our, um, our service that all got touched to come out. She didn't know I was shot until she turned and saw me holding. I, I had a dark, uh, I had a dark jacket on. Uh, it was dark blue, and I had a white shirt, and the white shirt was red from all the blood soak in it. And she says, "Oh my gosh, have you been shot or stabbed?" And I said, "I've been shot." The first words out of her mouth were, "Everybody pray." Well, fortunately, some people already started doing that. I had two guys run up to me right after I leaned up against this table, and one on each side put their hands on my shoulders and began to pray for me immediately. Uh, EMS was a little bit delayed because the first officers on scene couldn't find the gun. Somebody picked up the, the suspect's gun, put it in a trash can, which made an unsa- unsafe scene. But anyway, I made it to the hospital. The, um, the, the medic driving the ambulance was also a Christian. And uh, Linda norm- normally got to ride in the back because she was an EMT in the ER there. But uh, they wouldn't let her ride in the back because I was the patient. Uh, so uh, she was riding in the front. Steve, the driver, was driving with one hand, holding her hand with the other, and both of them were praying on the way. I got to the ER. My, med- my uh, surgeon was standing outside in the parking lot, and they, Linda said I was a seven-minute turnaround in the ER from ER to OR. So that was uh, the record at the time. I don't know if anybody's broken it since, but uh, I, was, I was hurt pretty bad. I was in surgery for about an hour and a half. Uh, the doctor was able to, to, to get the, the bullet that went through my uh, abdomen, was I could feel it. I actually could feel it under my skin. It didn't exit. And they just cut the skin, popped that out, and then they had to do a bunch of drain work and a bunch of patching of my, you know, obviously patch up both sides of my stomach because body fluids were all leaking around and mixing together. Um, I ended up, uh, they couldn't get the one out of my chest, so I still carry a 9mm hollow point bullet in my chest today. Um, it was a bad day. And it was a bad couple months. And it was a bad year. Matter of fact, it was bad several years after that. I was dealing with uh, two shootings and a war in five year in, in a five year period. I still had to go out and work the street, handle calls, and do regular family stuff. Without all this other stuff happening, if you all have raised teenagers, you know that's that can be a challenge. So we had teenagers at that time. But God was good. I had a praying wife. I was around people that loved me. And I had a faith that was strong enough to get through all this stuff. The nice thing that I like to tell people, that, especially in law enforcement, uh, that, that end up in these situations, and you have firefighters too that end up in a, a, a working fire where they're, all of a sudden they were on the first floor, and now they're in the basement because the floor just collapsed, or a guy just pulls a gun out on you. We've had two firefighters killed this year by gunfire, going on medical calls. Uh, We've had 78, as of last night, 78 police officers have died in the line of duty. The most recent was just a couple nights ago. Officer goes on a family fight call, the second call of that family that day, and he arrived on scene, and the the suspect shot him in the neck, and he he died. Had a wife and three kids. You didn't hear about him on the paper, in the newspaper or on TV. But that stuff happens all the time. 
pastor talked about how this has affected me. The one thing that really helped about being a believer, and, and I have, and I talk to other folks, cops that are Christians, and they say the question you get all the time is how can you be a cop and a believer at the same time? How can you be a Christian and a cop? Those two don't go together. And our, our question back to that person is how can you not be a Christian and be a cop because of all the stuff that you have to deal with? Because I don't have to deal with it on my own. When, when I shot the suspect at the traffic accident, when I went home that night, I was able to pray for that man's... Uh, I shot him in the head twice. And I was able to pray for him, and he survived that incident. He lived, got, came back after, after he got rehabbed, and they tried him for attempted first-degree murder, and he served 13 years out of a 20-year sentence. I didn't have any big problems with him. I mean, it, it changed my life. And it changed how my, my kids thought about my job and my wife. But Linda never one time, even after the shooting in 88 or the one in 92, never at one time said, you know, I think you need to retire next week. She was, when, when I was in the hospital, they had a, a news conference, and they came in, all the Denver TV stations and the radio stations and everybody else, and they came in. And one of the questions they asked her, they, and they, they weren't even sure I was going to live at this point, but the guy was trying to be nice. I worded the question. He goes, well, when Mike gets better... And he gets out of the hospital. Are you still going to let him be a cop? And she looked right into the camera, and she got a big grin on her face. I got to see it because on the videotape. She got a big grin on her face. She goes, he was a cop when I married him. And if that's what he still wants to be, that's what he's going to be. And uh, if, if there's any law enforcement folks out here, uh, you need to go to our website and pull up our... Uh, we, we did this little talk uh, in uh, Chattanooga. Linda spoke for 10 minutes to cop wives. You need to have your wife listen to that. Listen to what she had to say. Because I think it's important. So, how did, how did God help me through that? I was able to, uh, both individuals that, that tried to kill me and the, the soldiers that tried to kill me in, in, in Saudi Arabia, I don't hold a grudge against any of those people. God can deal with them however he deals with them, and hopefully someday they'll be right. Of course, the, the guy that I shot in the church parking lot, he didn't make it off the operating table, so... Uh, he had a, a quick turnaround. He had to be playing, let's make a deal. And that's what I tell cops. Being in the middle of a shootout is a really bad time to be playing, let's make a deal with God. But you don't have to be a cop. You can be driving down the road here between uh, here and, and Wheatland or here in Torrington, and somebody can pull out in front of you like what happened to two folks that go to our church in Timberline, Timberline Church in Fort Collins. We're going to a funeral tomorrow where two people that work in our church that we used to go to were in Big Thompson Canyon either going to or coming from Estes Park, Pastor Rob Coles, who was uh, one of the associate pastors there, was either alongside of him or following him. And a guy crossed the center line and hit their motorcycle, and both of them are dead. They died just like that. They weren't cops. They, they worked. He was in charge of the custodial um, system they have. At Timberline's a big church. But he, he was a supervisor, but he had a, a non-threatening job, nothing, you know, Although, for those of you who don't know, there are more uh, shootings in churches nowadays than there are in, in schools. You hear about the school, school shootings. Linda and I go to, to seminars all, uh, all over the country where we talk about active shooting situations in churches. There are more, pe- more people killed in faith, on faith-based property every year than are killed in schools. But anyway, you never know when it's going to be your day. The thing that, I, that it really is, is helpful if you're a police officer, firefighter, is the, the issue of fear. 
I can honestly say when I was a police officer, when I was being deployed to the, to, to the Middle East, I wasn't afraid to die. And I'm not today. Because I know where I'm going to end up. If you don't know where you're going to end up, then that's, then that's a legitimate fear. Now, I didn't want to get hurt because I never wanted to be a quadriplegic or didn't want to have all the issues, the, the pain issues. And I still have some pain issues from the shootings that I've had, at least the, the last one. But here, here's the bottom line. When, when we are, are agents of the gospel, I have to tell you, there's good news and there's bad news. The gospel, we always talk about it being the good news. I'm, I'm an agent of the good news because I'm an, an agent of the gospel. But folks, there's bad news in there. And the bad news is this. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. And Romans 3.23 tells us where we stand with that. It says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the first part of that one. Then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. So after, we, after our body dies here, the back of our cards explain to people, when I hand somebody one of my business cards, it explains to you, everybody, everybody here, if you look to your right and your left, everybody that's sitting next to you is going to die someday. It doesn't matter if you're an EMT or if you're in the ER. There are, there are people that would come into Linda's ER and they've got, had some of the best docs that I knew. And some of those people they still couldn't save. But the Bible says we're all going to die someday unless Jesus comes back first. And uh, it's kind of looking that, like it might be happening, but I'm not going to count on that one. Okay, so that's the bad news the, the news. the wages of sin is death. The good news is in Romans, these are all Romans things here now. 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us. For while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody t- took the penalty for you, okay? Just like when I would stand in front of people, uh, somebody was into something, I would go to bar fights, and both people were at fault usually, but I would get in between them. And, and risk my life to, to keep them from killing each other. But we're all guilty as far as the Bible's concerned, and Jesus took the penalty for you. All you have to do is accept it. Romans 6.23, the, the last part of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the way that you get that is Romans 10.9 and 13 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, with the emphasis on the word Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Folks, don't wait until you're uh, laying on the side of the road or laying in a hospital bed with uh, some terminal disease. If, if you haven't made that decision, I would encourage all of you to make that decision today. You don't have to be afraid to die. I'm still not, and I told you why. My life's been an adventure. The, the big thing that keeps a lot of folks from becoming Christians is they, I think they think that it's, it's some kind of a, 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 back, a rucksack you put on your back. The, God, the Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he helps you carry those burdens. When I, I have never had one nightmare after the two shootings I was in. I've never had a nightmare of shooting both of the guys that I shot. So that's t- very unusual. I was able to release uh, any anger that, I, that would have been normal for that. I would say that most of you would think that if I told you I was mad at the guy that shot me, you'd probably say, you, you probably have a good reason to think that. But God was able to keep me from that. A lot of the, the problems, the post-traumatic stress issues that people have, whether it's combat in the military 
or combat in law enforcement or just seeing the horrific things that we see as, as police officers, firefighters, and medics. You know, that's just... Um, Jesus helps you deal with that stuff. And, and that's the part that's missing. We were just in Orlando after a, f- a few days after the, the big shooting down there. And a lot of folks are hurting now. They said the people that are hurting the most are the dispatchers because they had to stay on the line with those people while they were begging for their lives and listening to people while they were being murdered. God can help you with that stuff. The stuff that I've been able to do, the fact that I'm alive today, standing in front of you, the doctor said I should have died, and I'm, I'm still here. So, pastor, I'll ping on another one of his sermons, I think it was last year, said this is, being a Christian is an adventure. And if I was going to be Indiana Jones and that was the real deal, there were some parts of that movie that I would rather not do. But there's some other cool parts to it. Since I've retired, I've taken up kayaking. Uh, I've gotten my sailor skipper's license from the U.S. Navy so I can uh, skipper sailboats, and I've got my ham radio license. But this journey, this adventure isn't over with. There, there might be some more bad stuff down the road for me. I don't know. There might be some more bad stuff for you all down the road. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is for us. I don't know what it's going to be for you. But whatever it is, God can handle it. The neat thing is, is whatever happens today, next week, next year, God already knows that it's going to happen. And the day that I check out of here, the adventure is just going to get so much better that death, the thing that we fear the most in this life here is the physical death. I've been, our, our banner says, been there, done that, still standing. When I, when I was laying on that operating table and I heard the surgeon say, prep the sternal saw, I know what that means. You're going to cut me here and grab a, physically grab a hold of my heart. And I knew that I was potentially going to die that day. And again, it wasn't let's make a deal. The last words that I uttered to my Lord was, Lord, all I ask is if, I said, I, well, I said, I don't know how the day is going to end, but you do. I recognize that he did. And I said, however you want it to end is okay with me. All I ask is if I don't wake up that you take care of Linda and the girls. And that was it. It was peaceful. When I was standing in the parking lot holding these holes, it hurt. It really hurt. When this lung started going down, this, this was hurting first. Then this started hurting because every time I would breathe, those, all those ribs are going like this, dinging against each other, and that lung collapsed. It hurt. They did some things to, the hospital, to me in the hospital that hurt worse than getting shot. Okay? So it hurts. But I knew that God would take care of me no matter what. And there's a better day coming. If you're a believer and you're here today, trust me, when it's your time and you know you're ready to go, it, is, it can be a peaceful time. It was peaceful for me. As I was standing there holding the holes in the parking lot, I was at peace knowing that God was going to take care of me. When I was on the operating table, I was at peace. Why, why wouldn't you want that? If you don't have that assurance right now, why would you not want that? It's available. All you got to do is ask, and God will give you what he gave me. I think my 40 minutes are up. I haven't even been watching my watch, and my wife's getting a sunburn. Pastor, if you'd like to come up and close us out. Folks, I'm here because I love you. Uh, our, our 
our ministry. We've got a heart on it because we love people. We, we specifically love cops and firemen, medics and soldiers. If you're one of those groups or you're a family member, one of those, you are our family. And, we, and when we address you as brother, sister, that's exactly what we mean. The police work and firefighters have, are very tight-knit groups of people. The, the closest, the neatest thing that I get to see is when I get to be around other police officers and firefighters that are believers, if you think that you've got a brotherhood, a sisterhood, being a cop or a fireman, and you think, and it is, it's a special relationship. We, working in those professions is like nothing else that I've ever seen. But when you meet another brother, police officer, firefighter, that's a, that's a, a believer, what an awesome experience that is. I would just hope that something I said today would touch your heart and that you would realize that Jesus isn't here to hurt you. He's here to help you through whatever you're through. And what a glorious day it's going to be, the day that we shed. I mean, that tent right there, our tents, when we came back from Saudi Arabia, we had to throw them away because they, were, they had oil. They were oil-soaked. Uh, one of these days, this old body is going to wear out. This is my tent that I live in right now, and I'm going to trade it in for a mansion. God bless you all. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. He left a detail out that I always... Uh, can you hear me? I can barely hear myself. He, he left a detail out that I always like to mention is the fact that e- either he was miraculously given one or always had it and didn't know it, but Mike had two spleens. And I don't know any other person that's ever been diagnosed with two spleens, but uh, the Lord just really supernaturally um, saved him. Um, and, and that's what he does with us and, and our, on our soul when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And uh, Jesus told the disciples, Caleb, why don't you guys come up here? They're, we're going to close with two songs. Um, Jesus told his, his disciples that they were to go into all of the world and to, to, to make disciples, to teach them all that Jesus commanded and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and baptism is one of those things that, that as believers, I believe, we're commanded to do. And baptism is one of those things where we get in front of all of our peers and those that are in attendance, and, and we, um, we, go, we go under the water and we come back up. And it isn't going under the water and coming back that saves us. It's our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that does that. But that is a symbol of what happens. Jesus was crucified. He went into the grave. He rose again. And, and it's a symbol of us as believers as we are put in the water as uh, symbolizing us being put into the grave and us being brought back up as us giving, uh, being given life. Um, I, I have in my pocket here a, a passport, and it's, it's a, a rather lovely green color. I don't know if all passport colors come in this, uh, passports come in this cover, but I open it up. And it says Manon Strong, and it has her picture in it. I promised her I wouldn't duplicate it or sell it. Um, but it has Manon Strong's picture in it. One of the reasons she has needed this is to go visit her daughter in North Africa. She's been to China and a couple other places overseas. Um, but many of you don't know, and you will read in the next Converge Connect uh, newsletter about Manon and the new adventure that she is going to be going on. Uh, Manon is, is essentially um, a Converge missionary and uh, uh, is going to be going to, and I don't remember the country, 
It's what? Togo. I don't know where that is. Where in the globe is Togo? It's North Africa. Oh, well, gee. Okay. As a, as a, as an, essentially a nurse missionary is what Manon is going to be. And uh, she hopes to go in, in January. It's going to be with Samaritan's Purse on, on this trip. But um, what a great thing to do for, uh, that Manon is doing. She's giving uh, the rest of her life to, to helping people, as she has done for decades here in Goshen County. But, but Manon, it says in here that uh, according to this passport, that Manon is a citizen of the United States of America. So this passport essentially identifies her when she goes to other countries as a citizen of the United States of America. But how many of us in this place do not have passports? Raise your hand. You don't have a passport. Okay. Are you all American citizens? Absolutely you are. You are. If you were born in this country or you went through or you immigrated here and you went through whatever process that our government has to become an official citizen of the United States of America. You are a citizen of the United States of America. You don't need this passport to prove that. But what this passport does is it identifies you as a citizen of the United States. So that's how I want to explain baptism today. Baptism doesn't save us. That doesn't make us a child of God. Putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that makes us a child of God, and nobody can ever take that away. But when we go into the water and we go under and we come up, what we're doing is we're identifying with all of those around us that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. We're sort of flashing our passport, in essence. And we have five people this morning that are going to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And I've had conversations with all of them, and I'm very excited about it. For some, it's, it's a sort of a more dramatic decision than others. Um, some, it's been a, well, they've been thinking about it for a long time. And uh, the Lord put it on their heart to do it today. And if there's anybody here who is a follower of Jesus Christ uh, and you've never been baptized, maybe think about it. You know, maybe you came dry today and you're going to eat lunch wet. Um, I don't know. But uh, but be thinking about that. Caleb's going to lead us in two closing songs. And in the middle of the second song, he'll dismiss us. We'll all go over to the pool. You know, some stand on the outside. But if you gather around on the inside... um, and then uh, we will uh, celebrate together with a cheer and a holler those who are being baptized and identifying with Jesus Christ today in believer's baptism. Caleb, let's do these last couple songs. Mm-hmm.